Good morning, Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. It's the second day of the week, aka Tuesday, and you're watching <laughs> AM to DM. All right, let's just get into this. Uh, Nicole Perkins tweeted, I thought Black History Month would be more complaints about a lack of White History Month. That usually happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess folks decided to show their ass in new glorious ways. Yeah, just out here with new ways to do it. Deese is nice, put it this way. This Black History Month is gonna need a fire festival style documentary. And it's, it sure is. It's a mess. Listen, we are five days into Black History Month. Y'all only gave us 28 days. Not a leap year. By the way, not long, y'all. Not like January, which goes on for 12 weeks. Uh, and it is just, I'm exhausted. I'm confused. I'm scared. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Listen, ICE trying to deport 21 Savage and like crowing about it. Yeah. Out there in the streets bragging. Yeah, unprofessional. Uh, we got Governor Northam in Virginia. Ooh. What, what's Ooh. going on? on there in the Commonwealth. Uh, you know, we of course had the yearbook scandal itself in that photo, and then it was like, oh, and also I'm gonna go to a press conference where I just, as an aside, I definitely did blackface in Michael Jackson. Y'all want me to move on? Yeah, it was like, that wasn't the blackface, <laughs> but I did do this blackface. Uh, do I have the space oh to do it? God. You also got Liam Neeson. Did you hear the audio Indeed from the- Indeed I did. The independent interview, it dropped yesterday. It was wild. Mm. I listened to the thing. It was more wild. And then this morning on GMA, he is given a platform, and he sits down and he he says, I'm not a racist, despite, and this is what he admitted to, nobody mm-hmm. asked him, mm-hmm. to going to black communities hoping to fight black men. Just just looking for a fight. Just looking for Looking it. for a possible hate crime? What's going on? Okay, also today, of course, tonight, uh, Stacey Abrams is gonna make history. She's gonna be the first black woman uh, in history to offer the official you know, democratic response to the State of the Union. That's awesome. That's, that's nice. That's black history that's in, cool. in action. Bernie Sanders, me too. Mm. Well, actually, he's like, I, gotta, I gotta say something as well. <laughs> he's like, hang on, I, wa- I wanna do a follow-up too. And then also this morning, you were talking about <sighs> Howard Schultz, everybody's favorite person. What was, what was going on? I mean, step one with Howard Schultz, it really says something when he's like at the bottom of the list because he's been saying really crazy stuff since he announced that he wanted to run for president. But yeah, like last night, a video hit the timeline of him during a live interview being asked, you know, you, does, how do you feel about the term billionaire? Because it keeps coming up. Which you are. Um, and he was like, oh, it just makes me a little uncomfortable. Oh, uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Mm. I prefer, I prefer uh, people of wealth. Oh, people. People of means. He really said that. <laughs> He's out here being like, call me a billionaire American. Yeah, so billionaire is an ethnicity now. That it, well, identity politics, 2019. Happy Black History <laughs> Month, y'all. Well, let's take it <sighs> to the timeline. White people are celebrating Black History Month by going absolutely wild. What's your prediction? for what comes next, let us know using the hashtag AM2. Liam Neeson should have just sat there and ate his food. He really should have. Cut that to yourself. He could have just. You and your therapist. Telling on himself. Here we are. Mm. Well, BuzzFeed News just tweeted this before we started our show today. Uh, We've published a huge bundle of internal Trump organization documents that show how secret negotiations for Trump Tower Moscow unfolded while Trump was on the campaign trail publicly praising Putin. The documents, many of which have been exclusively obtained by BuzzFeed News, reveal that despite Trump's claim that the development was never more than a passing notion, the effort to get the tower built was long-running, detail-oriented, and directly entwined with the ups and downs of Trump's 2016 campaign. And here's the thing um, about this cache of documents. It's the first time that they are going to be available online right now Mm. for all of you to read, explore, parse. Uh, BuzzFeed News has arranged the documents chronologically and set them against Donald Trump's many, many public statements about Russia. Here to walk us through some of the highlights is BuzzFeed News investigative reporter Azeem Goreshi. Azeem, good morning. Hi, guys. 
Hey, okay, so what do these documents tell us? And is there anything new we didn't already know before? So, yeah, so Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold have been reporting doggedly on Trump Tower Moscow for over a year now. And a lot of this has actually come out before in their reporting, basically that, you know, for the first year from September to around June of 2016, while Trump was actively campaigning to be president of the United States, back in the shadows, his lawyer and one of his fixers was trying to arrange this deal to build the tallest skyscraper in Europe. That is known. What we wanted to do now was basically release every single document. So every text, every email, every uh, business arrangement, uh, letter of intent, um, every architectural renderings, so that everyone can see the receipts for themselves um, and sort of poke through it. And what we've also done is arranged it so you can see really, you know, bit by bit as these negotiations are happening, what Trump was also doing publicly. And what we've shown is that, you know, Sometimes days before big things would happen with with this deal, he was keeping praise on Vladimir Putin um, while his lawyer and his fixer were actively trying to court Putin um, for his support to build this tower in in Moscow. And, and let's talk more about that, Azine. You're right. It is it is no secret that many times uh, Trump went out of his way, really, to praise Russia, to praise Putin while he was campaigning to become president. Uh, do these documents, though, give us insight as to why he was doing that? Well, so you have. The, it, it really connects really nicely across the timeline. You have Trump out in the public sphere saying things like Putin uh, gets an A in leadership or, you know, being really happy that Putin has called him a genius and sort of just flirting with him in the public sphere. And then in emails and texts that we have and that we've now released between Michael Cohen and Felix Sater, um, Trump's fixer, you have them explicitly referring back to what Trump has said about Putin publicly and saying, get me the tapes. We need to share this with Putin's people, basically actively trying to connect the dots between sort of the, the public facing praise that that the presidential candidate in the U.S. is is giving to this president in, in Russia and the sort of business class of Russia to, to seal this deal. All right. Now, Cohen has his closed door uh, you know, testimony this week. Is it safe to assume that he's going to be asked about these documents? Um, I'm positive. The the thing that obviously is is at the top of everyone's minds is um, Anthony and Jason also reported after after their big story came out about Trump Tower Moscow um, that uh, that the president actually directed Michael Cohen to lie about when the negotiations on this deal ended. So Cohen had obviously originally testified that the the negotiations ended in January. Anthony and Jason had shown that they actually extended at least into June of 2016. Um, so the the issue of whether Trump directed Cohen to lie is is absolutely going to be front and center, um, as well as I'm sure the rest of the negotiations, you know, with the, with the tower. That makes sense. Um, I'm curious about the editorial thinking here. Uh, why did BuzzFeed News, you and your editors, decide to publish the documents now, like they're out, you know, for people to go through on their own, um, and you also uh, publish them in coordination with the timeline? So what was the thinking there? I think, um, you know. The Trump Tower Moscow has been in the news for, for quite a while. People know, people have this sense that there was this hazy deal happening. But, you know, Trump, um, his family, his close associates have, have all basically been able to brush it off and say, you know, this was business deals are, are complicated. Like this was just sort of in its very infant stages. We, we don't we never really took it very seriously. And what we wanted to show was just the extent to which 
um, Trump's associates were aggressively trying to negotiate this deal and really racing against um, the campaign, you know, the presidential campaign and trying to, to make this happen um, as quickly as possible. And, you know, we that's why we, we sort of laid it out in this timeline so you can see how everything sort of matches up time wise. But then we also just wanted people to be able to go through and read read the receipts, look at the texts, look at the emails. You know, they're talking every day for, for many months um, about how to get this deal through. And we just wanted people to be able to see that for themselves. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, thank you for joining us, Azeem. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and like she just said, that pile of receipts is out there for you to go through on your own. We now go from Moscow to New York. Here is a tweet from our own Emma Loop. A Russian-born lobbyist who attended the Trump Tower meeting received suspicious payments totaling half a million dollars before and after the encounter. Well, joining us now is BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Emma Loop. She broke the story last night. Emma, good morning. Good morning. All right. So uh, who is this Russian-born lobbyist and why are these payments so suspicious? So Renat Ekmechin is this Washington power broker. He's been a lobbyist in D.C. for several decades, very well connected, very well connected with journalists in D.C. And so he's kind of just this influence peddler that everyone in D.C. seems to know. And his own bank flagged $500,000 in suspicious payments into his account um, in the in the two years before about November 2017, so between 2015 and 2017. And they, they performed a look back at his account in response to the revelations about his attendance at the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting. Okay, and is that is that the main connection there? Like, how do these payments relate to Trump Tower Moscow, which we're talking about so much this morning? So as we know, Trump Tower Moscow has become a focal point for Robert Mueller and his investigation. And so as part of that investigation, banks were asked to look at the finances of those who were involved in it and other figures in the Russia investigation. And so that's how these, these documents came together. That's how they came together. Well, what are the implications for Trump himself or the broader Trump organization based on this new reporting from you? Well, you know, it does it does provide more context around that that meeting at Trump Tower and shows kind of some of the money that was associated with the lobbying campaign that Trump officials were targeted by. You know, this effort to undermine the Magnitsky Act, uh, which, of course, Putin and his friends are not a fan of because it sanctioned a group of powerful Russian officials. So it kind of shows how the money was circulating before and after that meeting. Before and after. Well, let's talk about the reaction to your reporting. Here's a tweet from Stephanie M. Lee. Uh, she knows this line from the story. Reached on his doorstep, the lobbyist told BuzzFeed News, get the fuck out of here, okay? I also like the okay mm, at the end because mm. it's almost like a little polite. Mm. Uh, that's an interesting response. Tell us about that moment because that was you um, on the doorstep and other responses you've gotten since the story went live. Yeah, so, you know, a common practice when you're reporting out a long-form investigative piece, if you're unable to reach someone, um, you know, by phone or by email, is to go knock on their door. Um, you know, it's just a way of trying to get comment and give them an opportunity to comment, um, perhaps in a more secure way. Um, and Mr. Ekmechin was not very happy to see me, and he said, Emma, get the fuck out of here, okay? Uh, and I was, I was fairly surprised. Uh, I, um, I didn't really know what to say. I tried to give him my business card. He slammed the door and I walked away and told my editors and, uh, 
and that was that, I guess. <laughs> and they, they said put it in the piece, but he has commented since. Mm. So what's your reaction to what he's saying and what are other people saying about your story? You know, the thing to, remind, to, to, to know about Renat Ekmechin is that this guy is a master media manipulator. This is a guy who made a living, a very good living, uh, with, with PR campaigns and, and used his connections with journalists to accomplish those goals on behalf of his clients who are, you know, around the world. Um, so we tried to contact him and his lawyers for months. I first reached out to him in November. Um, and, and so we had been in contact with them, uh, was told they didn't want to talk. And then, of course, a few hours after the story goes up, there's this formal statement from Mr. Akmechin's lawyers to an NBC reporter who tweets it out and says that, you know, this statement says that, you know, it's appalling that we published, um, that he denies the claims, but doesn't say which claims, um, and, and, you know, has cooperated with government investigations. And so I thought it was really interesting that for months they didn't say anything to us. And then a few hours after the story is published, they put out this nicely crafted statement uh, to a different media outlet. You certainly have them talking now. Emma, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. It's cool to see her in New York. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, later in the show, I'll be joined by Nina Parker for a very special, I'm still single, Valentine's Day edition of Dear Ferocity. <laughs> but up next, it's Fire Tweet. We can just invite your number. We can just put it out there. <laughs> oh, we can God. Just, uh... No, absolutely not. <laughs> Welcome back. We are only five days into February, and we asked you, what's your prediction for the next insane thing a white person does during this Black History Month? You got something to say? Sarah said, <laughs> I don't know what it will be, but I feel like Ted Nugent Ooh. will be involved somehow. To which I say, like, I feel like that's of days of past. That's, I think, that's, I think, that's I think we're in a new honey. area. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got it here with Mousy Core. Uh, you said, I'm not going to speak anything into the universe at this point because at this point, I am absolutely sure the universe would go, nah, not crazy enough. Watch this shit here. That is fair. And the, perhaps the, the best approach. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> less talking. White people are like, don't tip me. Don't tip me. Feeling crazy. No reason to be like Liam Neeson, <laughs> hold my beer, okay? Let's okay. get into these oh fire gosh. tweets. Kyle, you tweeted. I'm a huge fan of that post-laundry feeling when you've got all your A-list clothes back in the game. Ooh, yes. I'm, feel, I'm actually like, yeah. I'm waiting on that right now. <laughs> I've got a big stack of laundry at home. It's time to get those black t-shirts back. <laughs> Where are they? Where are the black t-shirts? What will they do? Um, but also, I like the opposite of it when you're like running out of clothes and so you start wearing like the really elaborate fancy clothes because those are the only, like, why is Sai wearing blazers all you're of a sudden? You're wearing a suit. <laughs> My, my other favorite. Yeah. Okay, this tweet from Evil Heart is just everything. I used to struggle with math, but after years of hard work, I can probably say that I no longer do math. Ooh. And I feel that way. To get to that point. I have excelled, honey. <laughs> Capitalism, it's the loophole. Got it. Uh -huh. I feel like it's like, once you get out of high school, you can start really putting a lot of that math, a lot of the complicated stuff That's behind true. you. Easy stuff, easy stuff. <laughs> ben Rosen, you tweeted, the two types of tweets. Number one, Mr. President, sir, how dare you? Number two, how old were you when you realized it's called Tuesday because it's the second day of the week? I, <laughs> I was, that's, that's facts. That's gonna, actually why it's called Tuesday. Gonna take the bait. Got, does someone know? No, it's not called why, Tuesday. But do we know? <laughs> do we do know, we why, know it's why, why it's called Tuesday? Yeah. That I'm not aware. Know? I'm sure something, something Greek, Latin. something Latin. I feel like it's usually Latin. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Or both. <laughs> but not T-W-O. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe not. Okay. Bay, oh, oh, my God. Bay of Pigs. What a good username. Okay. <laughs> I just got it. Bay of Pigs. It's like oh, levels. Anyway, you tweeted, if your intersectionality doesn't include billionaires, then don't even fucking talk to ah! me. That is right. Howard Schultz. Yeah. I can't believe, like, again, the billionaire American thing, that's a joke. But the things he actually said... <gasps> It just yeah, he was like he he would prefer billionaires to be referred to as people of means, people of wealth, people of means. I get fucking bent, get fucking bent. I'm sorry, that really pisses me off. Here's the thing with Howard Schultz. Um, I never, I don't care where she is on the political spectrum, I never want to hear the likability of mm. a female political candidate for any race ever either like explicitly discussed, mm. I don't mm. even want the dog whistles, mm. I don't fucking care mm. if women are relatable political candidates mm. as long as people like Howard Schultz are allowed to do what the fuck he's doing. Likeable? Are you kidding me? People of wealth. I'm uncomfortable Kidding with the off. world billionaire. Get, Get out of here. You ready? All right. Let's do it. Fire tweet. Tweet of the day comes from our own Sylvia O'Bell. I think we should all just use the Chinese New Year as a chance to start 2019 over because these first five weeks have been straight trash. They have. And Ooh. that is absolutely Ooh. true. Jake I'm Ware is just right the behind pig. us. You're the pig. Let's get into it. I love I'm, it. I'm into it. I De decorated my apartment for Chinese New Year's this year. New Year, <laughs> new me. Yeah. New Year, new me. I love it. Here for it. All right, well, coming up, friends, Nita Parker is going to get your love lives together in a special edition of Dear Ferocity. I'm so excited to talk to her. Her show is really funny. But first, we are going live from the district. That is not funny. It's horrible. It's just it's really bad. <laughs> really bad. Welcome back. We are going live from the district. And listen, we've got a question for the timeline. Are you watching the State of the Union address tonight? Mm. Got other mm. plans? You're going to host a party? Uh, let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. A little are, State of the Union party? A little? <laughs> are, you, are you going to watch it? I, I usually go to a bar and I watch it. That's, you do? Yeah, that's usually what okay. I do. Uh, I think I end up following via Twitter. Following it, like on the timeline? Follow the tweets. Like, oh, okay. You don't have like a patriotic cake? Alas, I don't. Oh, weird, weird, <laughs> weird, weird. Well, joining us now to talk about tonight's State of the Union and what to expect is BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill oh, reporter my God. Paul McLeod. You bastard. Uh, Paul, uh, gonna start with Good morning, guys. an impromptu so question you. here. I'm just, you've got some nerves, sir. How dare you? Okay, Crash. okay, what? okay. <laughs> Come back. No idea what you're talking about. I'm guessing you're pretty happy about the uh, Patriots win in the most world's most boring Super Bowl. Oh, yes, the uh, record-setting sixth championship in 18 years for the New England Patriots. Yes, I am actually very happy about that. Thank you for asking. Oh, man, it's sixth win, but it sure was a snoozer. Let's talk about tonight, <laughs> sir. Where will you be to watch the State Every of the Union? Every other Super Bowl they were involved in was great. And what, what right, will sorry. you be looking for? State of the Union, politics, not sports. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm going to be in the room where it happens. I will be watching from the press gallery and, uh, I mean, searching for any bit of news, really. Obviously, presidents don't like to deliver a lot of uh, concrete promises during these just so that they can't get thrown back in their face a year later when they don't get accomplished. So, uh, failing that, I'm just going to be looking for good reactions from people in the crowd. Fair point. But let's throw it back in his face. Uh, what were some of the promises the president made during his last State of the Union address, and how did he, uh, you know, finish in the end? What's his record? 
Well, uh, I mean, he didn't make any or many specific promises just for that very reason. But he, he talked about broad themes like, of course, you know, border security, as you'd expect, uh, bringing down drug prices. There hasn't been a lot of action on that. They're only just starting to throw some proposals. Uh, I think one of the most uh, there was tariff stuff and trade stuff. I think maybe the most amusing thing in retrospect was bipartisanship. Uh, he had a call for bipartisanship. And, well, we saw how that went. We just got out of the longest government shutdown in history because Republicans and Democrats reached a bipartisan deal to fund the government, and Trump came in and blew it up. So, uh, checkered report card on how things went from the last State of the Union. Okay, and what about tonight? Do we know if there's going to be any kind of main theme, and will he address the incredible historical making, like, shutdown that he, we just went through? Or the human wall he just tweeted about wanting to build? <laughs> Yeah, the the human wall. I, I suspect we'll get something about the human wall. I mean, the thing is, Trump tends to stick really close to the script on these State of the Union addresses. This is not the campaign stop Trump where he's wildly going from uh, idea to idea. He's probably going to be pretty uh, tightly stage managed. And apparently, I can't believe I'm saying this, apparently, once again, he is going to make a call for bipartisanship and Democrats and Republicans working together uh, we'll see how that goes this year. See how that goes. So it's going to be one of, this is the moment he became president. Oh, God. Nah, yeah. man. Nah, Just brace yourself. Nah, brace nah, yourself. Nah, nah. Well, let's talk about the other aspect of this. Uh, Stacey Abrams is going to be giving the official Democratic mm. response. Again, that is a history-making first. Um, but apparently, uh, Bernie Sanders wants to give a response, too. Here's a tweet from Time National Correspondent Charlotte Alter. She said, uh, in a Democratic primary where black women's votes will be decisive, I don't see any political upside to sliding Stacey Abrams by giving a competing speech. Uh, Paul, not asking you to read his mind, but what is uh, your thoughts about his possible strategy here? So this is something that Bernie Sanders has actually done for a few years now, uh, since he basically started uh, eyeing the White House. Uh, he's given his own uh, his own State of the Union response on his personal like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and and all that. So. But this year, it did initially seem like he was going to be doing his response right after the speech, which would have completely uh, stepped all over Stacey Abrams' speech, and you know it would have been counter-programming to it. Uh, the details came out. He's actually doing it after her speech. So, I mean, again, this is something that Bernie Sanders does every year. He's doing it after hers. I feel like this is maybe a bit of a manufactured controversy, but... You know, in politics, everything is optics. So if, I mean, Bernie's got to watch out here. If this, if the optics do prevail of him uh, sort of talking over a black woman, that's obviously really not something you want to have when you were running for president. I'm just saying, man, I, there's a lot of things I used to do every year that some years you just, <laughs> then you stop. You recognize, you read the room, you say, you know what? Maybe this isn't the year. Maybe I don't do it this year. That's called growth. Uh, so let, let me ask, how uncommon, is, how uncommon is it to have other responses to the State of the Union? How many more speeches do I have to watch after the speech? I think a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to watch any. That's the ultimate thing. You know, no one, no one needs to uh, tune into any of these. But uh, if you're just a, a real junkie for responses, I promise you'll have plenty. You'll, you'll get your fill tonight because even though not everyone is going to be uh, going and doing a live telecast, uh, the, everyone will have some form of written response. I mean, look, it's like 
87 people in the Democratic Party are actively running for president right now. I think every single one of them is going to be putting out some form of response for their followers because, I mean, you know, it's interesting that th this is the 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 podium like the, such prime real estate is the response to Trump and none of the the people who are actively running for president got it so they're going to try to get some slice of the action any way they can. Okay. Well, Paul, before we let you go, we have a tweet here from Jen. Uh, she tweeted, I'm assuming it's about your shirt. Uh, wow, Paul just got way less hot. Didn't even know that was possible. Assuming it's about his shirt, it's not like he got maybe, a new haircut. Maybe it's, she didn't like his political analysis. It's the shirt. <laughs> I'm sorry people hate greatness. I'm sorry people don't want to see history being made. Paul, That's, you are from I, I don't know what to tell you. They don't even like you. It's like you're going to have a Make New England Great Again hat on. Get them. From Nova Scotia. It's right next to New England. We're just northeast. We're right there on the Atlantic coast. Oh, my God. All right. I'm going to give you a crazy rich Asians. You will never be enough. Okay, Paul, thank you for joining us this morning. You're losing fans. Thanks, guys. This was great, as always. <laughs> always a delight. Yeah. I love that guy. All right, Twitter, we want to take this to the timeline. Uh, what do you think about Bernie Sanders planning his own response in addition to Stacey Abrams? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. I want to say I understand that he's going after, but I'm like, it's still perilous because I see two scenarios. Either he ends up like kind of repeating everything she said, in which case it's like, yeah, you didn't trust her to do it. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, are you going to end up challenging her mm -hmm. instead of challenging, you know, mm -hmm. the actual state mm -hmm. of the union. It's just, it's, I don't know. Sometimes not talking is the thing to do. <laughs> Up next, Stephanie speaks with Nicole Wynn about Slack and other logo design nightmares because that happened recently. You had to explain it to me. No, no it was not I fun. <laughs> BuzzFeed News tech reporter Nicole Wynn tweeted, I wrote about the Slack lash to Slack's new logo and how it became a lightning rod for Twitter's outrage cycle, symbols of white supremacy and people's inability to say nice things on the internet. All of that for a new logo. Nicole joins me now. Hi, Nicole. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So what did what made you call Slack's new rebranding, as you put it very eloquently, a swastika <laughs> dicka nightmare? I want to like emphasize the dick there. Um, yeah, so a couple weeks ago, uh, last month, Slack unleashed this this new logo onto Twitter, and it completely sent Twitter into a frenzy. Um, they uh, tweeted this GIF that showed the original plaid hashtag transforming into their new logo. And within minutes, people were photoshopping swastikas onto it or um, uh, transposing it onto the Nazi flag. And on top of that, the logo also has thirst droplets, I guess, on it, um, little speech bubbles, but, you know, the internet's dirty mind immediately went to, um, like, that this logo is very horny and that um, it's several dicks going in opposite directions and um, Twitter completely controlled the narrative of, of this logo launch. I mean, Twitter, like, needs to get it together. That is, like, just, like, dirty <laughs> minds, people. I don't get it. Why do you think something as, you would think, benign as a corporate logo rebranding, something that really shouldn't really affect anyone, why does that become a lightning rod for hate symbols, for white supremacy symbols, for people seeing dicks in it? Why? Why, Nicole? Why? <laughs> well, I think what's really interesting about this time in particular is that 
misinformation and harassment are no longer hidden in, in the shadows of the internet. They thrive on mainstream platforms like Twitter, which, as we know, is troll infested and, and um, full of folks who um, spread conspiracy theories. And so we've grown so accustomed to seeing these hate symbols. Um, you know, there are actual modern day Nazis that are that are on Twitter sharing them, that photoshopping a swastika onto a corporate logo seems totally normal. And that's probably something we would have shied away from um, five, 10 years ago. I want to read a tweet now from Aditya Mukherjee, who said, there are two rules to design. Don't make it a swastika and don't make it a penis. Slack managed to forget both of those rules simultaneously. Okay, well, that's a little harsh. I feel like there's like a little bit of a creative license going on with the dicks and the swastikas, but these are obviously two key rules to designing logos, right? Do you think these rules are changing at all with the dirty, sick mind of the internet involved? <laughs> well, I think over the past five years, designers have started strategizing about ways their imagery will, will travel on the internet. You know, um, I think Pepe the Frog is, is a great example of how, against the author's wishes, a design was um, co-opted by, by a movement, essentially, and, and um, used for purposes other than what it was intended to. And so I think a big part of the design thinking process has now become how will people twist our idea into something hideous or, or hateful? And, and designers are really taking that into consideration. They're trying to troll-proof their logos, essentially. Yeah, you talked about one group of designers who basically takes the design, and you mentioned the Hillary Clinton campaign in this. They take a design and they literally try everything they can possibly think of to make it offensive, right? They look at it and they draw dicks on it. They draw swastikas on it. They draw anything they possibly could think of. Can you talk about this a little bit? Yeah, I talked to Jesse Reed, who worked on um, Hillary Clinton's presidential uh, creative campaign team, and they worked on they worked on um, designing that logo, the H logo with the arrow running through it for about three months, and then they handed off the logo to another separate team who created this murder board, which was a five page PDF that um, contained that Hillary H with like hell and herpes and Monica Lewinsky and 9-11 and um, really tried to prepare themselves for what this could be turned into visually, which I thought was really, really interesting. That is so interesting. And it's just a really sad state of affairs on the internet nowadays. I feel like no matter what you do, you're kind of screwed. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this important topic. Thanks. Okay, let's take this to the timeline. What brand do you think had the worst logo design? Do you hate Slacks? Do you hate someone else's? Let us know using the hashtag AMCDM. And don't go away, more AMCDM is up next. Here's a tweet from our own Lisa Tazi. The strangest thing about Hollywood's seeming embrace of a separating the art from the artist approach this Oscars cycle is that it's been for the sake of such shitty art. And now that is a quote from a piece by Allison Wilmore, BuzzFeed News critic and culture writer, which asks, 
Why are Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book still Oscar frontrunners? Allison joins me now to help answer this baffling question. Good morning, Allison. How are you? Good morning. I'm pretty good. Okay, so let's start with, just catch us up. What is the controversy behind Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book? Well, this has been a whole Oscar season filled with controversy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no, there's probably going to be no host. The Kevin Hart thing mm. kind of was a whole cycle of like bad tweets and non-apologies. Mm -hmm. uh, there was the whole thing where they were like, maybe we'll do a popular Oscar category. And then they're like, wait, maybe this is condescending and not thought out. Which was what? That was like earlier this year? Yeah, it was in September, I think. That's yeah. That's wild that that happened. That, that, yeah. that happened. And then with these particular movies, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody has, it was mostly directed by Brian Singer, who has faced accusations of sex, sexual misconduct in the past and has just been the subject of like a new story with like a lot of new allegations that feel really serious. Uh, then there was also the thing with like regarding Freddie Mercury, the portrayal of him mm -hmm. and versus like how the rest of the surviving members of Queen have kind of wanted their agendas out there. Mm -hmm. And then with Green Book, you know, you have a movie that a lot of people have said has like really presented a very kind of like white perspective on racism mm -hmm. and that has a writer who has like tweeted at Trump about uh, uh, this kind of Islamophobic tweet. So mm -hmm. it's been a real messy, it's been a ugly very, It's been campaign. a very, very messy Oscar season. I mean, Green Book, especially kind of in your piece, you talk about how this is kind of the type of movie the Oscars usually love. But let's start with that. Just straight up, all controversy aside, are these two movies good movies. No, they're not. <laughs> I mean, very apologies to Bohemian Rhapsody's really passionate, slightly scary online fandom, which I've like had some brushes does, with. Does it, it has one of those kind of like, it, there are people that are coming for you like because of this piece? It has a pop star hive, I swear. Really? It has uh, some very passionate teen fans, I think that like have, it's their first encounter with Queen's music in general. And like, I understand Queen's music is amazing. But yeah, I think that like, uh, you know, it's got a big following. It made $800 million the box office, that superhero money. Mm -hmm. That was a big hit. Green Book, not a big hit, but I think it's kind of got this Academy support as if it were mm -hmm. this massive crowd pleaser. Okay, so so all this controversy around it, they're actually bad films. And again, kids, if you love Queen's music, that's great. It doesn't mean you have to love a crappy movie. <laughs> you can love the music, not love the movie. Uh, why are they still front runners? Like that's the thing. I mean, there's a lot of great movies nominated, but these are the two films I keep hearing about. Yeah, I think part of it, my personal theory, is that there's a lot of members of the Academy, especially kind of like entrenched members, who are kind of like, they're kind of pushing back against like, they're being like, these aren't controversies, they're smear campaigns, you know, they're people trying to take down these movies that I like. Mm. But I think it's also, you know, these are part of an old tradition of what used to be Oscar movies. Uh, the, the movie, the feel-good movie about racism that's mm. usually made by a white filmmaker, mm -hmm. or the the movie, the kind of like biographical movie that, you know, plays very fast and loose with someone's life, and in this case, I think kind of diminishes the, the character's sexuality. Absolutely, absolutely diminishes them. Why do you think Hollywood's kind of regressing into that? Why are they all of a sudden being like, okay, this is what we're going for? I think that like Hollywood's a little shaken this year about like what people want, mm -hmm. what the future of entertainment, like where things are going. You know, Netflix is this huge force. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a bit of like clinging, going back to the old ways or being like, okay, last year we did, you know, last year we did it right. So this year we want to go back to, that was enough. Wow, that was just case. kind of that like, hey, all right, we did the thing, now can we get back to like this reverse driving Miss Daisy thing that exactly. we're trying to go for. Yeah. Okay, but you also mentioned in your piece, and again, we'll tweet it out because it's absolutely fascinating, kind of the fact that the Oscars don't get it right so often. A lot of the canon, a lot of the movies that are loved now didn't get 
even Oscar nominations, yeah. let alone Oscars. So why does this matter? I think for me, I like to look at the Oscars as just a reflection of how the industry feels. And also, they obviously can lead to opportunities for people, you know, not consistently. It can be all over the place. We've mm. seen people win an Academy Award and then not go on to like something great. Mm -hmm. But it's obviously an enormous spotlight. It's the, it's the industry kind of like giving you recognition from within. Mm -hmm. And I think that still has meaning and it's still a really good way to do a temperature check mm -hmm. on how Hollywood is feeling about itself. Okay, real quick before I let you go, are you like Team Roma, Team Black Panther? Who, sh who should <laughs> we be talking about? Well, my personal favorite out of all of the Best Picture things is uh, The Favorite, okay. which is nominated for a ton of things, but no one seems to expect it to win anything, which is kind of breaking my heart. Okay. But I would also, I would not be hurt if A Star is Born, okay. you know, wins. All that right. seems like just an awardsy film right. that I also liked. Who it's knows? like, hey, classic Hollywood, that's kind of your film, uh, <laughs> minus a lot of the racism. But Allison, thank you so much for joining a us. Pleasure. Really appreciate it. Always talking movies with you. And listen, we want to hear from you. Let's take it to the timeline. What movie do you think should win Best Picture this year? You let us know using the hashtag AM2. For me, it's Black Panther or Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse. Anyways, uh, up next, Nina Parker is here for a special Valentine's Day edition of Dear Ferocity. You got questions? You got some, like, dating questions? <laughs> Welcome back. They called me MTV. Uh, you tweeted, dating no filter is the greatest gift to 2019. Uh, where does one sign up? Nina Parker, the host of Dating No Filter, is with me now to talk about her new show. I love it. It is so funny. Oh, uh, and we're going to do a special <laughs> Valentine's Day edition of Dear Frost. Yes. I love it. Okay. So the concept of Dating No Filter is like you watch people on first dates from yes. the couch. Yes. I love it. I'm usually watching like from I get know, to be a the creep. next table over. Yes. <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm nosy by nature. Oh, I love it. Me too. So Me I need too. to get that on a shirt, nosy yes. by nature. Nosy so by nature. I'm always lurking and looking. If it's not in person, it's on Instagram. So this was just very fitting. And all it. of us who like to kind of just be nosy and mm -hmm. see what people are mm -hmm. doing on dates and also feel a little bit better about ourselves. Yes. Like, oh, I'm not very it's dysfunctional. Like, oh, okay. We're all a yeah. disaster. <laughs> you can watch right. this and feel okay about your dating life. Feeling that. Uh, because it, you, we all know that dating can be ups mm -hmm. and downs. And yep. it's just really funny. And it's just kind of, you know, there's so much going on. It's just a great mm -hmm. way to decompress and watch crazy dates and our commentary on I love it. Well, let's take a look because, oh, we need it. <laughs> so have you ever had any, like, blackout stories from drinking? She already told you she lost an organ. Like, that's not an interesting enough story? Yes. Okay, what's your worst story? Sure. <laughs> let's compare gutters. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my god. Do you and you you've seen a you've seen a lot out there. Yes. You've seen a lot. Yes. Are there some telltale signs like early on in a date where you're like, this isn't gonna go well? Yeah, you know, you can tell quickly if it's all about aesthetics for some people. They're they start asking you, you know, about your job. Mm -hmm. You know, you can always tell the people who ask about the job because they want to know how to treat you, how much money you're worth, or what do you do, where do you live? Or they'll say, you know, little cues like that, or little they'll class ask you tells. if you've just sat down for drinks, they'll ask how many partners you've had. So you know that it's going left. Like, then. Oh, you know it's okay. not too sincere. <laughs> so then we just watch for fun at uh -huh. that point. Yes. Do you have something for your own life and your own dating experiences that is like, nope, we're over, we're done here? You know, if someone says something in those first few minutes. I hate a name dropper. I hate a name dropper. Yes. You know, while well, I was in line behind Samuel L. Jackson at the grocery store. You know, I don't need the name dropping. <laughs> you know, especially in, in L.A. because mm -hmm. it's like at some point oh, you're running okay. into somebody. Uh -huh. So that's a big no-no for that's me. Fair. Yes, that's a big red flag. 
What's a consistent, because we, we, we're getting into this advice tease, what's a consistent um, mistake you see people make? And you're like, you don't have to do that. Yes. Like on this, especially on dating no filter, uh-huh. I see people trying to get physical too quick. Like oh. asking for a kiss or, you know, going in too quickly or making a bet. Like they'll go bowling and one of the guys will say, if I hit a strike, I want to kiss. But they barely know the girl's name. So I want to tell people to slow down and yeah. take their time. That's a lot. Because when you move quickly physically, uh-huh. then it's the feelings are involved. Yeah. So I just want them to like take that time a little that's bit. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. And it's the first date. It's yeah. Like, Unless you just don't care and that's what you're in for, then go for what you you're know. Like, it's actually not a date right. at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a prelude. Uh, <laughs> you also host uh, Nightly Pop on E. You're all yes. over E, sister yes. girl, by the way. Uh, what's it like keeping up with celebrity relationships? Is it different from watching regular people? Oh, it, well, no, it's pretty much the same as keeping yeah. up with my girlfriends, I have to say. Like, you mm. know, in regular relationships, we have ups and downs. Somebody mm. might get cheated on. Somebody's mm. back with their ex, you know, hiding, doesn't want us to know. Uh-huh. So, it, you know, I, I tell people like Brad and Angelina drama is the same as your friend's drama. It's just publicized. Mm-hmm. So it's not very difficult to keep up. It's just the people that kind of change a lot, yeah. you know, but we just keep notes and keep track. And the good thing about Nightly Pop is it's just all in good fun. So yeah. and it's very tongue in cheek. So, you know, it's factual, but it's definitely like the lighter side of the relationship. We need that. Yeah. Um, are there like celebrity couples that you are just like obsessed with, can't get enough? Like me, Cheyenne Jackson and his husband, yeah. they have two beautiful little kids. Yeah. I'm just all over the Instagram. Like, how are they doing? You know, I'm going through a phase where I am trying not to idolize celebrity relationships as relationship goals mm. because I'm finding that when we pull the cover off, mm-hmm. a lot of the times, you know, like with Chris mm. Pratt, I love their relationship uh, that he had with okay. Anna Ferris, And then mm. I'm like, oh, they're Whoop. breaking up. So you just, and we didn't know there was really any problems until it was over. It so fine. exactly. It looked yeah. like a good relationship, which it, it was, but I'm, mm-hmm. I just didn't work for them anymore. Mm-hmm. But for me, that just kind of, throws the relationship goals a little bit into the trash can. So I'm just trying to mind my own business, child. I like that. <laughs> 2019, let's just mind our own business. Because every time we find out what's going on, right. like, oh, we're Lord. disappointed. <laughs> well, this is something I love. Um, you went from working at a Verizon Wireless Center. Yes. So here you are, thriving. You look gorgeous. Yeah. Shout Thank out you. to the Thank blue eyeliner. You. Yeah. Oh, you like that? <laughs> I love it oh, so you, much. When you're all black, you got a little, little color somewhere. Yeah, you somewhere. just pop and pop. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, of course, two shows on E. Like, you're thriving. Yeah. Um, what would you say to other people? I think so often, I never in my life thought I'd be hosting a show. Right. Right. So what would you say to people who are just like, right, like, who just feel like, oh, that's not something, that's not possible. It was initially a goal of mine to to be a television host. And as I got older, I, I people would tell me that I didn't fit the mold mm. of what a host is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. So I had already conditioned myself to be behind the scenes and even fell out of my career for a while working for Verizon until I got so miserable and not with that company, but just in not yeah, serving like my I'm own not purpose. Doing what I need exactly. To do. That I just took a step out there and I stopped really caring and letting other people validate how I should feel about myself. Mm -hmm. And even though people were telling me I was crazy, I was living in Northern California, I wasn't even in a city really of entertainment. People were telling me I was crazy, but it didn't feel crazy to me to have those Mm -hmm. dreams. And I just went for it with it anyway, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I really want to say that perseverance and that tenacity, because people will tell you no, because they're so used and conditioned. Mm -hmm. Even when people watch TV, they'll say, I'm not used to seeing you, Mm -hmm. so I don't know how to accept it. And I'm like, but I look like your sister. I look like your friend. Why is that impossible to see someone like me on your TV? Sounds like a you problem. Yeah. And we have to condition people to really understand, like, what you see out in the world is what should be on TV, not the other way around. I love that, Nina. I love that. Well, let's get into Dear Ferocity. Yes. So people DM and t- 
tweet me questions, and I give them the best advice I can summon. Okay. Um, but you, you're war- far better with dating advice than okay. me. So. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's see. Let's, let's take- see. Um, this is all Valentine's Day. Uh, here's one. Uh, for Valentine's Day, my boyfriend brought me tickets to a Broadway show okay. that I've been dying to see for a while. That's okay. lovely. Today, I was just put on a new account at work that I've been going after for almost a year. And unfortunately, the first big meeting for it is on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. The meeting's probably going to last through the second half of the show. Mm-hmm. What should I do? You got to reschedule. Okay. Girl, you get that bag. <laughs> get your bag. Like, yeah. and you said boyfriend, not husband. <gasps> That's the key word to me. All That's right. not your husband. Fair. If That's he wants you to go to that, that show, he uh-huh. might want to accompany it with a ring. Uh- <laughs> Otherwise... <laughs> You get your back. Yeah, yeah. Like, and what that, are the stakes right. here? Right. And someone who loves you will understand that. Yeah, you know, if true. this is something you've been working hard for, uh, the show will be there. It's not going anywhere. And, you know, the, but that's, you miss this meeting, mm-hmm. you might be selling them tickets while you're in the unemployment line for rent. So I would suggest you go to work. That's a, do it. I told you. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's Girl, you better go to work. Um, my, oh, okay. I'm single. And my three best friends invited me to a dinner with their significant others for Valentine's okay. Day. Y'all, this is crazy. Apparently, straight people do this a lot. Just dispatches from heterosexual uh-huh. <laughs> Um I'm going to go, but would it be rude if I declined to be a part of our always inevitable group pictures? I'm tired of being the drunk one with no man in pictures. Girl, you better live your best life. Let me tell you, some of your friends are miserable in them relationships. And they taking pictures just for the gram. You're just the one smiling. They, they wishing they were single like okay. you. Oh, so wow. they were wishing for that freedom. So okay. embrace it. I would be in that picture with the alcohol bottle instead of the man. Like, embrace <laughs> that. Like, don't be ashamed. I like but if that. you don't want to take the picture, tell your friends. They should understand. Okay, fair. Yeah. All right. I'd be mad at them for reminding me to the dinner. Yes. The first I like that. Show that up and show out. champagne bottle would be my date. <laughs> Drink up. <laughs> Okay, one more. Uh, my boyfriend is really into Valentine's Day, and I'm not. How do I tell him I'm not excited about the whole flowers and chocolate things without hurting his feelings? Well, if you're not into it, and it doesn't matter to you, and it's a big deal to him, let him shower you with it. If you don't care, mm-hmm. then what's the big deal in letting okay. him express... Because it's not like you should be offended. Right. If you're not into it, you could take it or leave it, but he really loves it and enjoys showering it for you, mm-hmm. then do that. Or make suggestions for something that I you would that. enjoy doing and combine it. Like, if you really enjoy hiking or if you really enjoy brunch, okay. incorporate it, and then okay. you both are getting something out of it. Practical. Queen, we stand. Yeah. We stand, Nina Parker. Well, Nina, thank you so much thank for joining you for me. You're glowing, me. also. Oh, I'm trying. The studio's like, well, that's nice just the blonde wig. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew one. I knew one. Okay, friends, you can watch Dating No Filter on Monday through Thursday and Nightly Pop on Sundays, both on E. I love that you're there. I love that you're shining. Thank you. Uh, up next, Isaac and I are going to read more of your tweets. That was, that was excellent advice. I'm taking some notes. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Nina Parker is so lovely. First that was also. delightful. I feel like brighter in here. I love it, it. it was love joyful. It. And I did want to add, like, yeah. what, Valentine's Day, what's your, like, if somebody was to take a shot, what would you be looking for? Just throw in a just casual conversation, buddy. You're a fucking asshole for asking this. Isaac is asking this because he knows <laughs> that the last time I had an elaborate Valentine's Day, mm. I ended up dumping the guy a week later. <laughs> mm. If memory serves, I think it was actually on Valentine's Day, but hey, potato, potato, <laughs> rewriting history. But no, but I, I actually wasn't even trying to be like I that. Always, I will say I always love a good dinner. Yeah. I, I, I love a dinner. I love, like, I, I think a wonderful dinner with friends. I think a lovely dinner with someone you're dating is always... 
it's special. It's, you know, it gets you anything that gets me away from my phone, mm. you know, centered, it's simple, mm. conversation, good alcohol, good food. That's Choc beautiful. Chocolates, flowers. Hmm. Chocolates. All right. For not safe for work reasons. Okay, so um, I wanted to go back to the timeline for a second because this was a detail um, that I didn't realize Liam Neeson said mm -hmm. about, you know, trying to everything. Um, he said that he went power walking to help defuse his racist murder fantasy. He also went to a priest and I'm like, oh, that's... That's actually, it's, according to what I've read, what, you know, that's a good use of confession. Maybe, maybe you should <laughs> but, have gone to a priest and said the independence with this story, Liam! <laughs> but wait, power walking? Yeah, you know, you don't know about that move? I just, you, that's how I, <laughs> I was feeling racist, but then I just sweated it out. <laughs> mm. I just want to say, Robin Roberts, who did the interview with him on Good Morning America, Robin Roberts has been too good mm. and too wonderful for too long mm. for her to have to spend the fifth day of Black History Month listening to Liam Neeson talking about power walking to keep from murdering black people. Let's give it up. Let's give it up for Ro Robin Roberts. Just, Robin Roberts. You deserve a better queen. Okay, uh, we asked you what, well, we asked you to predict what white people will do next. Uh, Aaron said, no idea. As a white person, I can't imagine there's a bottom to how low our nonsense can sink. Uh, Ooh, and, and, and then right after she tweeted that, uh, Paul came on the show wearing a Patriots sweatshirt. Yeah, and we're going to get into those tweets because you guys lit him up. But we oh, also man. asked if you'd be watching the State of the Union tonight. Mm. Kelly says, I'll probably take Saeed's approach and follow it through Twitter. I often become overly annoyed when I see him speak for an extended period of time. Mm. And I realized I no longer need that unnecessary negative energy in my life. If it's important, be sure you will find out about it tomorrow morning, either watching AM to DM, but like you're gonna find out. Absolutely. It's not like he's gonna announce something like news breaking and like we're gonna be like, what? Yeah. I, I missed it. You're it's, not wrong. It will be on the timeline. It will, for better or worse. Um, well, again, <laughs> Paul McLeod wearing that Patriots sweatshirt. A choice, y'all. Uh, Amanda said this, men always do something to ruin the fantasy. Paul McLeod in that Patriots sweater is like that time Bradley Cooper shaved his beard. Oh, you guys had a lot of feelings about Paul. I, my, girl, my DMs lit up. I do want to say, I, I think I even heard somebody be like, you sure you want to wear that? And he and he's he's living in his truth. He's, he's living yeah, in yeah. his truth. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if it's thank you to Paul, but thank you to our guests, Azeem Goreshi, Emma Loop, uh, again, pause for Paul, Nicole Wynn, Stephanie McNeil, Nina Parker, and of course, Allison Wilmore. All right, we will see you back here tomorrow for the sixth day of Black History Month. Can't Wait to see how you disappoint me, America. Just wait. Just, 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 just wait. Go on. Just wait. Go on.